Open your Bibles to Second Timothy. Second Timothy. We are uh, in a series kicking off 2015. Now we're into the third month of 2015 about pressing on, actively engaged in our sanctification process. And what does that mean, right? We know that our relationship with the Lord is unique. It's not just a quote-unquote religion. It is a relationship. And over the last several weeks, we have been looking at what the Bible says about this relationship. Because if we're going to press on with God, if we're going to actively engage in being Christ-like, if at the end of this calendar year you want to look back and say, hey, in 2015 I grew, in 2015 I became more like Jesus, really foundational to to being able to say that is understanding the nature of what we call your covenant relationship with God. You have to kind of know, you have to, what we, we sometimes say around here, DTR, you have to define the relationship. What does the Bible say? Right? What does the Bible say? And it's really important to understand the, what the Bible says about our relationship because the word relationship in our culture has so many meanings. Just like the word love. Right? And all these songs about love and do you fall in love? You know, is love just an emotion? And we've spent weeks before defining biblical love. Well, it's very important in your relationship with God that you be able to, to biblically articulate what the Bible says that relationship is. That relationship is, okay? And we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Bill, I thank you for Matthew 4, 4, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from God, from the mouth of God, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that we've spent weeks and weeks on before in the past. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed, right? If you've been with us since we started in Cindy's living room, right? We drove that stake in the ground as far as Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. We believe this is the Word of God. Amen? And as a believer, this is the authority. And, and that's been true from day one and will be true as long as this little church is in existence. Right? All Scripture is God-breathed. Why is that important in, in terms of our relationship, uh, our covenant relationship with God? Well, we saw uh, the last several weeks that when you enter into a covenant relationship with God, a couple things happen, right? Number one, it's the end of independent living. It's the end of independent living, just like when you get married. It's the end of bachelorhood. It's the end of being a bachelorette. When you covenant with someone in a marital relationship, you are saying, I am giving up independent living doesn't mean that you're not unique. It doesn't mean that you still don't have your gifts and talents and abilities. But it's no longer me. It's now we, us, right? So we saw when you enter into a covenant relationship with God, first and foremost, it's the end of independent living, right? We saw in Corinthians, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, right? We saw in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So as a believer, we, we, we studied... Biblically, you're not your own. Okay? It's a we. It's a we. And then the last 
a couple of weeks, we studied this, this, this key word called diatheke. Everyone say diatheke, right? There are two words that describe covenant. One is diatheke and one is suntheke, okay? Now, suntheke, let's start there. Suntheke is a covenant between equals. Bill and I want to make a deal. So we're going to sit down as peers. We're going to look each other in the eye and we're going to negotiate. Let's make a deal. That's suntheke, right? We've seen that in the Bible, suntheke is never, never used to describe our relationship with God. Very important. Diatheke, we saw last week, it's all in your notes. Diatheke is what is used to describe our covenant relationship with God. What is diatheke? It is greater to lesser. And we saw last week, we went back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, what? Created. Right? So we saw all the way back, the very first verse in the Bible. There's a creator and we are the created. Right? We saw the problem with Satan. Satan wasn't content to be created. He wanted to be the big cheese. Right? And then he used that same ploy on who? Eve, right? Hey, God knows when you eat, you're going to be like like Him, like God, right? And we, we studied this, this idea of diatheke. And for us, especially in, in the United States, and you're raised to be independent, and you're raised to be self-sufficient, and you're raised to be successful and the boss, boy, Diatheke in our flesh? Oh, that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Because it goes against the grain of what many of us have just picked up. Right? How many of you ever had an older brother or older sister who tried to boss you around? Right? How many of you, right? You just say, you're not the boss of me. I'm telling mom, right? Mom, so-and-so is trying to boss me around. Right? How many of you may have trouble with your existing boss. Okay, if they're in the room, don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> right? right? Even, in a, even in a marriage, who's the boss? Right? This idea of, of boss and, and authority at the human level in our flesh, ugh, ugh, that just runs kind of countercultural. And yet, biblically, biblically, when we enter into a diatheke covenant with God. It's on His terms. Diatheke means the greater sets the terms and the lesser either agrees or rejects it. It's not open for negotiation. And we look last week, you think about the Gospel. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, what? Believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Where does that come from? Who's the, who, who's the authority there? God, right? He set the terms. Believe on Jesus and you're saved. If you don't believe on Jesus, you're not saved. It's not up for negotiation. In fact, it, it's pretty, it gets pretty, now you understand some of the verses that you might struggle with. John 14:6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty diatheke, isn't it? 
that's pretty creator, created, greater, lesser. It's pretty much, here's the deal, guys. My terms, accept it or reject it. That's diatheke. So on the front end, right, the gospel is good news, but maybe we didn't understand. Oh, yeah, that's right. God set the, God set the terms of the gospel, didn't He? He's the one that even said it. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Amen? How many of you celebrate that? But you know that's a diatheke statement. That's God saying, in my plan of salvation, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, Teresa. Take it or leave it. How many like that? I take that. Grace through faith, right? So on the front of salvation, it is diatheke. The challenge for us in this sanctification process is to stay in diatheke. Because oftentimes when it comes to this issue of sin and temptation in our life, we go from diatheke to suntheke. So God, let's talk about this one verse. Because in my life, it's really uncomfortable right now. Right? How many of us, if we're honest, we battle in this sanctification process because God speaks to us through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, pierces our heart, and then it just becomes diatheke, suntheke. Are we going to submit? Are we going to yield to the authority of God through His Word? Or are we going to try to negotiate? Are we going to try to, you know, even, even to the extreme, well, I don't really like that part of the Bible. Let's just cross that part out. Right? Not only do we become soon-thinking, but sometimes if we're not careful, we flip it and we start to tell God that that shouldn't be in the Bible, God. You know? So, so this issue of diatheke, we face it every day. You're gonna, you're, you might be facing it right here as you sit. I guarantee you when you walk out those doors and you come across something in your life, ask yourself, oh, Lord, it's that diatheke word. Because in the flesh, I really want to do that. But I know that's what you want. And I know that's what your word says. And I know I can do it through the Holy Spirit because no temptation, you know, there's always a way out. You'll never let me be tempted beyond I can bear. So I know that's what you want me to do. Are you going to rest in diatheke and say, okay, okay. And so as we move forward, we go to the Second Timothy, right? And we say, all Scripture is God breathed. God breathed, right? And and we're we're excited. I talked to Bill yesterday. Diana called me and shared about this wonderful event that's coming to the California Science Museum and we're gonna take a field trip. Whoever wants to come. Go ahead, child. The Dead Sea Scrolls are coming to the California Science Museum. It's down there by the Coliseum, right across the Coliseum. And uh, come discover the most significant archaeological find of the last century. Let me just share with you a little bit about what's going to be there. It says, The California Science Center, in cooperation with the Israel Antiquities Authority, is proud to present the largest Dead Sea Scrolls exhibition ever mounted outside of Israel, featuring over 600 ancient artifacts on display. This special exhibition explores the science and significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls, manuscripts written and hidden in caves 2,000 years ago and not discovered until 1947. The exhibition also features sections from 10 selections of the Dead Sea Scrolls, more than half never seen before in the U.S. 
So Bill and I talked. We're excited. This, this is coming in March. We're so excited that we're going to put this out. We're, we're still formulating it. But we're going to do a field trip on a Saturday. And if you, enough of you sign up, we're going to get a bus. <laughs> we're going to get a bus, and we're just going to enjoy going to the California Science Museum and learning more about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Why is that important? Diatheki. See, we spent, uh, a few years ago, we spent weeks and weeks coming to a study and understanding that this is the Word of God. And, and really key to that was manuscript evidence. The manuscript evidence that you've seen, the thousands and thousands of pieces of manuscript that have that been found throughout history. We look at archaeology. We looked at fulfilled prophecy, right? And at the end of that, at the end of that series, we said, this is the Word of God. And you have to land somewhere with this. You have to drive that stake in the ground. Is this just a textbook? Is this just another religious book, you know, that's in the religion section at Barnes and Nobles? Or is this God-breathed? And if it's God-breathed, then the issue of diatheke comes right into play. Because this is now God's Word. Amen? And so I encourage you, uh, we're going to have a sign-up sheet maybe next week, but uh, with the cost and everything, that's going to be wonderful. That's going to be wonderful. Because sometimes deep down, you're struggling with obedience because you're struggling with, is this the Word of God? Remember, what, 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 what did the devil say to Eve? Not just that you'll be like God, but what was the first thing? Hath God said? Did God really say? What was he trying to do? Instill doubt. Instill doubt. So, so around here, you don't check your brain at the door. We're not asking you for blind obedience. No, we spent weeks looking at manuscript evidence. We spent weeks looking at archaeology. We spent weeks looking at fulfilled prophecy because those are the three key elements. When taken as a whole, confirm, affirm, tell us that this is the Word of God. And where you land with this book has eternal consequences, we believe. And where you land with this book has consequences for the choices you're going to make at 10.15. And we have to settle the issue because if you are in a relationship with God, it's a diatheke relationship. And in this age, He speaks through His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right? So, so we have to settle this. So we're excited about this event coming up. It'll probably be in April and uh, encourage as many of you as possible to come. Okay? So let's, let's continue looking forward in this... Uh, in this idea of, of diatheke, because undi- in diatheke, if there's a greater or a lesser, the, the key word that comes up is what? Obedience. Obedience. Right? And what's interesting, in the Bible, the word obey, it's in your notes there, I believe, it says, right there, it's on the back, literally, to hear under. It's hupakuo to listen under with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard, right? Acts 12, 13, remember when Peter was in prison, he, he miraculously gets set free and he, he knocks on the door. One of the word pictures of hupakuo is when someone knocks at the door, you hear it, you go to the door and you listen to who it is and you respond by opening it. There's a, there's a listening 
and a response, right? Let's look in your notes. The person hearing is under the authority of someone else, placing oneself under what has been heard and therefore submitting to and obeying what is heard. Matthew 8:27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. So this idea of obedience has this idea that there's an authority. I'm listening to someone greater than I am. I'm active listening with the intent to what? Obey. I'm listening. I'm placing myself under authority with the intent to obey. Right? Absolutely crucial that, that even in, 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 as long-term believers, sometimes we, dis, we, we get this misconception about obedience that it's more of a soon takey thing and if I choose to, if I want to. No, obedience biblically means I am under authority. I listen with the intent to obey. Okay? This goes all the way back. And you know, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4 introduces the most famous prayer in Judaism, still recited twice a day, right? Absolutely vital. The Shema, pronounced Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Sound familiar? Who said those words? Jesus did. This is what he quoted when someone asked him what the greatest commandment was. He quoted the beginning of the Shema, right? Look at 6.4 again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. My guess is most of us in our culture skip the word hear. Hear is absolutely essential to you and me understanding our sanctification process. We have to understand what they mean by hear. All right? Now, we most I would guess that most of us when you hear when you say when you read the word hear, you're like this. Did you hear that? Or who heard that? See, most of us will define hearing as, oh yeah, there was an audible sound. I heard it. In our Western mindset, hearing is, there was an audible sound. In the Hebrew language, it is so deep and rich that the word hear, right? It's right there. There's, it, it, look at this. Shema. Hear, listen, understand, heed, obey, respond. All of that is defined with hear. So when it says, hear, O Israel, it's like way more than this. It's whatever God says, you got to do. That's to hear. That's to hear, right? Psalm 61.1, right? Now some of these verses in the Old Testament will make sense. Psalm 61.1, you don't have to turn there. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Does that mean that we just want God to go, oh, ah, Pat. That was a good one, Pat. Is that what we want from God? Oh, God, hear my cry, oh, God. Listen to my prayer. Do we just want God to hear our words? 
What do we want God to do? Respond. How many of you, when you pray, you're asking for a response from God? Right? That's what it means. Hear my cry, O God. Do something, please. Right? In the New Testament, when uh, Elizabeth was pregnant, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. They were praying and praying and praying. God heard them and God responded. So we have to understand, right? There's this huge cultural issue that that many of us, again, it's, it's, it's not a negative thing, but we have to understand the Hebrew culture versus the Greek Western culture. Because we have been raised in the Greek Western culture. Okay? If you're a Jew, you were raised with the key part of your body, key organ, was the ear. The Hebrew culture is a listening culture. It's a listening culture. Right? Greek, Western culture, we're a seeing. Think about all the statues in Greece. They worship all these statues, things they see. Hebrews, Jews, they worship what they hear. The invisible God reveals Himself through His Word. Okay? So understand where this is coming from because it affects you and I. Hebrew culture is about listening with the intent to obey. Greek Western is, let me see it. Let me see it. Anyone ever say, oh, show me, then I'll believe it? Right? We're the show me culture. Right? And it's physical versus mental, right? Hebrew was, let's do it. What matters is response, doing. Greek Western is mental. Mental. It's, it's very important. How many of you ever heard someone ask you, why? You ever have a kid say, why? 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 That's Greek Western thinking. See, if we're not careful, when it comes to the Word of God, the Hebrews, the Jews, because it was coming from the Word of God, because it was from God, the source was God, the obedience was taken for granted. We're doing it because God said it. Amen? Greek Western? Let me think about that. Let me, let me, let me think about that. Why? See, we, we go into our minds. We emphasize thinking. Thinking, 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 rather than doing, doing, doing. And that thinking leads us to disobedience. We think our obedience in our Greek Western culture, we think obedience is thinking. Let me think about that. Do I agree with that? Do I like that? Do I even understand that? See, Greek Western, it's so inculcated in us that, let me think about that. Hmm, I got to think about that. Hebrew culture, God says it, done. We just, we just got to do it because it's from God. That's what hearing, that's the radical difference. And for some of us, I encourage you, especially long-time believers, okay, nothing wrong with Bible study, nothing with coming to learn about heaven, nothing with all the tapes and conferences. I'm not saying I'm anti-study. You need to study. You need to understand the Bible. Right? We don't check our brains at the door. But you have to guard against prioritizing thinking 
over obedience. Your walk, your relationship with the Lord isn't a mental exercise. See, when Moses would talk to them, if you read through the Old Testament, Moses called the people to do. He would say the Word of God and they were to respond. He didn't just say, hey, listen up. Did you get it? Okay, good. Listening's good. Listening in the Old Testament was never the end. It was always listen and then do. And we're going to see that with Jesus. It's going to help us understand even Jesus' words in the New Testament. Like, man, that's kind of hardcore. Jesus is just speaking of how he was raised in his culture, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I said something. You should just do it. You see? Now some of those verses make sense out of diatheke, out of an understanding that hearing is listening with the intent to obey. Inseparable. Inseparable. Okay? Now the challenge is, in our Greek culture, we get stuck in understanding. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. I know what God wants me to do, but that doesn't make sense to me. Anyone? And because it doesn't make sense to you, you kind of use that as an out not to do it, even though you know what you should do. That's clear. The making sense part's maybe not so clear, but you decide to camp on the, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till it gets more clear. That's not what we're to do. In fact, let's look at Joshua. Let's just get a few examples where God may not answer your why question. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he doesn't. Look at Joshua 3. Right? Let's just, it's in your notes there. There's a reference. It's Joshua 3. Israelites have come to the Jordan. Right? Joshua 3.10. No, we'll start in 3.9. Joshua 3.9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that He will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Right? And it says, verse 13, And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Right? So in this instance, Israelites come to the Jordan. He says, hey, I want you to do something out of obedience. And I'm actually going to tell you why. Because when you see this happen, it's going to be a sign that I'm with you and you're going to be victorious. So he says, bring the ark into the river. When, the, when it goes into the river, the water is going to stop and everyone's going to cross. He kind of gives a li- little bit of a why. So what's the sign? Okay? He gives a little bit of a why. Turn to Joshua 6. You familiar with the fall of Jericho? Right? How about this one? Joshua 6, 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Did he give a why? 
Not in this case. Imagine. Okay, fellas. See that city? We're going to march around it once. And then on the seventh day, we're going to go seven times. We're going to blow the trumpets. And all of you, shout. Now, how many of you honestly would say, why? What's up with that? I don't get it. I don't get that. Why? That's silly. Anyone? Come on now. Cindy, right? Cindy, come on. We're going to go walk around Libby. Once a day, Cindy. Meet you at 12 o'clock. Why? Just because God said, Cindy. And then, Cindy, after church on Sunday, we're going to go walk around seven times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a horn, and then you shout. Why? In this case, God doesn't give... He does say this, though. Here's the thing. He doesn't give a why, but He gives a promise. Look it. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and fighting men. They didn't get the why, but they got the promise. The step of faith was to obey based on what God promised. Hey, they're yours. I've, Jericho is yours and all the fighting men. Here's your step of faith and obedience. I'm not telling you why. I'm not going to get into the physics of how your trumpet and shouting is going to crumble the mortar. And Right? Sometimes He gives you a little more information and sometimes... All you got is a promise. And then the question is, what are you going to do? Genesis 22. Abraham. Hey, Abraham. Right? Let's go. Let's go back to Genesis 22. This is, this is an example of God saying something and Abraham having to make a choice. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Why? <laughs> How many of you? Why? 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 There is no why. Look at it. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took off. He just does it. God said it. He heard with the intent to... He heard. It was clearly God. He goes without the why. Just because God said He did it. Right? And I love this. Because they're going, they get to the mountain, they start walking up, and Isaac's pretty sharp. Isaac's a pretty sharp little kid, right? Look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's kind of catching on. Something's not right. Wood, 
fire. Uh, Dad, something you want to clue me in on? Right? Look what, look what Abraham says. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Right? And you know the story. He's about to sacrifice his son. And the angel shows up and says, Stop! Stop! Don't do it! Right? Verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then God provides. Right? Diatheki. What do we do in our life when God calls us to obey and we don't know why for sure? We don't know how it's going to play out. Are you going to obey? Are you going to submit? Are you going to yield? Or are you going to kind of get stuck in, in the mental thinking aspect? Well, I don't get it. I don't understand. I, here's, here's the crazy thing, guys. Just a, just a word of encouragement. Sometimes your understanding comes after obedience. Sometimes you will obey God and after the obedience step and after it begins to play out, because of your obedience, you'll have a, I get it. And if you didn't obey, you would miss that opportunity. Turn to Luke 5. Turn to Luke 5. Here's one of those moments where understanding came after obedience. Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around Him and listening to the what? Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Right? So here's, here's the setup. Simon, these are professional fishermen. And in this region, you catch fish at night in the shallows. That's just the way it is. That's with all the pros. That's the experts. You catch fish, they come up at night in the shallows. This is the day, and Jesus says, go out to the deep. So this professional fisherman is now in a bit of a dilemma. Because he does this for a living. He's the expert. The carpenter is telling him his job. You, have, you ever have somebody come along in your life who tries to tell you your job all the time? Right? I shared with you the story about me and my wife driving. Tries to, tell me, tries to tell me how to get somewhere. Right? I know what I'm doing. Well, in this case, professional fishermen struck out, a bit frustrated, a bit tired and weary, carpenter shows up and says, hey, let's do everything backwards. Let's go out into the deep in the middle of the day. Goes against everything that any right-minded fisherman would want to try. Right? Look what he says. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But 
because you say so, I will let down the nets. Whew. But because you say so, even though it goes against everything I know, how I was raised, what common sense says, because right now I'm struggling in my humanity, in my flesh with what I'm hearing you say, but because you say so, okay, okay. And look what happens. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to, uh, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. You know what they had to do? They had to respond in obedience first. This miracle happens. And in that miracle, what is the purpose of it? What's the understanding? You're God. I'm humbled. You are Lord. And then Jesus says, yes. Now come follow me. See, the purpose of the obedience the result of the obedience was understanding and clarity of who Jesus was and what they were now to do. Jesus used that step of obedience to break Simon and all those guys out of their box of how the world works. The box is shattered. They go, oh my gosh, you're Lord. And Jesus uses that moment to say, yes, and I have a plan and purpose for your life to be fishers of men. Now come follow me. The understanding, the clarity came after the obedience. And this is a challenge for us culturally. See, the Hebrews, they were sold out. They would say, we're going to do everything God said. On the front end, because it was coming from God, obedience was just there, just just ingrained. It's God's Word. Duh, we're going to do it. We, we're ingrained to go into our head. And this idea of obedience on the front end in our culture, man, that's where we just got to say, Lord, this is impossible in my own flesh. This is really impossible. Because I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I just don't know and don't get it. Don't know why things have happened. Don't understand things. Don't have clarity. And the only thing I do know is something that God has said in His Word. And then there's times when you're going to have to step out in faith and obedience. You know, there, there have been times in ministry, in 20 years of ministry, there were some times in San Diego where things happened uh, on certain staffs. And I didn't understand why it was happening. And I didn't, I didn't get it. And I had to seek Scripture, specifically speak, seek Scripture on, on, on the First Timothy issue about leadership. And I got convinced, and, and God put on my heart, no, there's something not right in the leadership level at this church. You need to go. I got umpteen kids. I didn't have a job. I w- it's not like everything was lined up, but I knew in my heart that was a step of obedience. I didn't understand why it happened. I thought everything was going to go great. And 
after the obedience and that walk of faith, God made things clear. He made things clear. And I look back in retrospect as you look back in your life, and I'm like, man, that step of obedience 14 years ago led me at one point to get a call and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm waiting on God. You want to be a youth pastor in Ojai? Which ultimately led to being here. I went. I didn't have it all figured out. I just knew at that particular moment, Lord, what do you want me to do? This, this is scary. This is scary. I don't understand. Well, I mean, I know, but okay. Because you say so. Because you say so. Right? We'll close with James. How many of you want to be blessed in your life? How many want to be blessed? Right? This is awesome. I love this verse. We were just talking with the guys in the office before service. And another thing that's sort of in our culture is the word authority. How many of you smile when you hear the word authority? How many of you just like say, yes, I want to submit to authority? Anyone? How many, how many say, you know, Lord, today, today, just, just, just place me under authority, Lord. I just, I just love authority. Anyone? How many of you tend to look at authority slightly not so positive? Right? Authority in our culture just kind of rubs us the wrong way, just kind of causes us to cringe. And yet, and yet, I want to encourage you, look at James uh, 1, right? 22. We'll start in 22. Here it is, guys. Again, it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6.4. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What did it say? Do what it says. That goes all the way back to the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew mindset. Hey, don't just listen. If you're just listening, you're deceived. If you just think coming to church and listening to the sermon was enough, you've been deceived. Okay, hearing and doing are inseparable. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We've had fun with this verse, haven't we? I walk around here with a mirror. I look out there and many of you listened to your mirror this morning. What did your mirror say? Comb your hair. Wash your face. Put on makeup. Shave. You listened to your mirror this morning. Implicitly. Did anyone argue with your mirror this morning? When, you, when your mirror said, brush your hair, did any of you say, it's fine? No. You're like, oh, thank you, mirror. Thank you, mirror, that I'm not going to church with my hair all disheveled. Thank you. How many of you are thankful for a mirror? Okay, let me ask you, what does a mirror do? Reflects imperfection. And we're so thankful. Spiritual mirror. That's all it is. For your benefit, guys. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit, right? Let's keep reading. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard that word heard very important many of you've been in college and you've had people audit classes right when someone audits a college class what do they do they sit in the class and they listen but do they have to do the assignments no do they have to take the test no they're optional he's saying hey don't come to church and be an auditor 
where you just listen and think that obedience is optional. That's not it. We're not here to be auditors, okay? It says this. But doing it, he will be what? Blessed in what he does. I, got, I just want to encourage you guys. You have to chew on this a little bit. In that last verse, the blessing comes in a life of obedience. Spiritual prosperity. Joy. Fullness in your relationship with the Lord, according to James 1.25, comes in your life of obedience. That's what it is. You know, when I was called to ministry, there, there are some challenges. You know, ministry is sometimes one of those things where you just, you go, why, Lord? And, and there have been times where I'm like, Lord, all I, all I wanted to do in ministry was help people, just love people. And the best way that that happens is for them to love God, love His Word, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, just walk with Him in a diatheke relationship. See, as a pastor and in, and in teaching the Word of God, I, I know you know this, but I, sometimes I just need to say, I, we, God, we're not here to ruin your life. Oh, it's authority. Oh, it's it's all about authority over there. And it's all about obedience. And it's all about that. It is. But James one twenty five says, because in the obedience you get blessed. That is my heart for you. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have all that God has for you. I want you to go, oh my gosh, look what God's doing in my life. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even I can't even imagine this. This, this so much, right? I want you to have these moments over and over in your life where like, oh, God, you're so good. Oh, I couldn't believe I have these friends. Oh, you brought reconciliation. Oh, you freed me from addiction. Oh, I, I'm so different. I just want you to be so blessed. And you got to understand, that means I'm going to teach and encourage you to be obedient. Because according to James 1.25, you will be blessed in a life of obedience. That's where the blessing is. That's where it is, guys. And, and it's going to take a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. Because the devil's there. Our flesh is there. And in those moments, you say, time out. Suntheki, diatheki. Suntheki, no, diatheki. Because you say so. And in that step of obedience, you are blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. And this morning, Lord, these words, obedience and authority in our culture, sometimes they have such a negative connotation. And yet, biblically, the blessing comes in obedience, in submission to authority. And my guess is that 100% of the people in here want to be blessed. We want spiritual prosperity. We want joy. We want fullness in our relationship with You. And You say that comes as we not only hear the Word, but then do it. A life of obedience. And Jesus, as we take communion this morning, we're reminded that You set the ultimate example.
struggling in the garden, asking your father if there was another way out, and in the end you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Daiatiki, submission, obedience. And Jesus, because of that, we are here. And you say to celebrate communion in remembrance of you. So this morning as we distribute the elements and hold them in our hands, would you speak to our hearts in this area of obedience, this area of blessing that comes from walking in the power of Holy Spirit, choosing to obey you even when we don't completely understand. Amen.